Folks and welcome to episode three uh, three thousand twenty one thirty twenty one of the Survival Podcast. Uh, for those that found this video, you should know that this podcast, for most of its history, has been almost exclusively an audio podcast. We're on all the uh, podcast services: Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. You name it. If it exists, we're on it. Uh, we're also a two time winner of the Podcast of the Year award. Uh, And I've uh, been doing this for a very long time, talking about all aspects of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. And I invite you to go by the Survival Podcast and learn more about what we do. And if the stuff you hear today is not really what you're looking for in the world of preparedness, because we do get topical on current events and things like that, especially on Fridays. Um, if you can think of it, we've covered it, everything from aquaponics to permaculture to food storage and anything you can think of in the prepper independent space. You will find it at the survivalpodcast.com. There's a little search box there. Just use it, and I promise you'll find many episodes on everything. With 3,000 episodes, there's probably something for you. All right, with that, let's go ahead and deep dive on into what we got today. I've got a bunch of stuff for you. Here's kind of the overview of what we're going to cover. It's coming to an end, and it's going to be very, very bloody. The, the death of a death cult. The entire pandemic narrative is crashing to the ground, and there's a great article on Substack that I'm going to refer, to, refer you to on this, but I'm also going to give you my thoughts on it. <clears throat> I have a question by email, and this is just, I got it recently, but I get it all the time. How do I get started growing my own food in various different flavors? This question comes in, but what always makes it like, yeah, you're not going to do that is, I want to do everything, and I want to know where to start. What book can I get, and then I can do everything. It's not how it works. We'll talk about coming in to the, the concept of food production by either you know gardening, small-scale farming, or livestock, or both, as, as a brand-new babe coming in, you know, out into the world for the first time doing this. It, it can be over uh, overbearing or intimidating, but it doesn't have to be. But it's going to start with, that question is the problem, okay? And then the problem is... The solution, as we know in permaculture. Next, we're going to be talking about deciding whether or not a firearm is worth investing in to repair or fix or restore versus maybe this 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 uh, this weapon's had its day. Um, I have a question about ducks being able to be truly free range. Like if you have like live on a lake and it's like a multi thousand acre lake and the ducks can get to the lake, will they come back? Um, yeah, probably, maybe, usually, it depends. Um, I want to tell you something that I think a lot of people really need to know. And if you don't know this, it could possibly lead to trouble. Many people think, well, if I get the Signal app, or if I use Telegram on my phone and I do secret chat, then there's no way that anybody can decrypt what I'm you know, communicating to this other party. That's not true entirely, even if they can't break the encryption. There is a technology that can reveal any communications that you're having with anybody through, especially a smartphone. Um, and it's been around a long time. And certain app manufacturers have been caught doing it for commercial purposes. But anything they're doing, you can bet your government and the alphabet agencies know about. And it's a real reason you need to think if you're doing things that maybe you don't want others to know about. And it is... Going to get to a point where right now I think it's spotty and it has to be specifically targeted, um, but with advancement in processor speeds and scanning, I think that we'll get to a point someday where 
that can be done at will and maybe in specific areas, maybe not everywhere at once because cellular networks do have throughput limitations. But I guess if you're getting paid to upgrade uh, from upgrade, some of y'all get that reference, then you can afford to do it. And if you're doing something like 5G with all this massive amount of throughput capability, that really ups how much of this could be done. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what the hell is he talking about? Don't worry, I will tell you. We're going to say a few words about the loss of, well, one of the greatest musicians of all time, in my opinion, uh, Meatloaf. Uh, passed away recently. I uh, just heard the news this morning, like many of you. Um, and I, I want to say a few words about this, because I think if you're in my age bracket, a little bit older, a little bit younger, that you probably have memories that have something to do with listening to Meatloaf uh, in, in your youth, and especially maybe cruising around in a car. And so I just want to kind of recognize that, because I think it, it is somebody who's had a lot of uh, impact on our lives. Also, I'm going to recognize somebody from the TSP audience who recently passed away due to complications from COVID, who was a really good man and really did help our community for a very long time, and I think it's worth saying a word or two there. Then I'm going to talk about why sane people believe absolute bullshit and why I'm actually going to take the time to debate a flat earther from our feed yesterday, uh, where I was told I had NASA's blue balls in my mouth. And I'm, I, I, it's not that I'm easy to get into a debate over something stupid. It's that I've heard this bullshit, honest to God, going all the way back to 2008 when I started. And I'm going to have now, what I'm going to want is when it shows up, you, just, you guys drop the link of where that debate happens and this guy gets his head bashed in. And I don't ever want to have to actually talk about it ever again. But I'm going to talk about why people believe absolute bullshit like Flat Earth Uh, I'm not going to call it flat earth theory, flat earth bullshit. Like, why do people believe this in the first place? Because, no, they're not just people that eat hot pockets in mom's basements. I know it's easy to say that, but there's rational otherwise people who believe this. And I, I think I've actually figured out where it comes from. What is the psychology inside the brain of an otherwise rational person that leads them down this world of stupidity? And then I'm going to talk briefly at the end why people think we need public education. So we have a great variety of stuff today. If you have questions for me, if you have things you want me to comment, put them in all caps. Uh, I discovered the feature in StreamYard that lets me star those. I'll try to keep an eye on the feed, so even if you do it during the middle, when we get to the end, we'll already have questions and things you want me to comment on loaded up. So let's jump off into it right from the beginning um, the death of a death cult. And I want to real quick bring up something on the screen for those of you guys that are in um, the the video or watching the video, whether it's live or you're watching it as Memorex. If you can think, if you know Meatloaf well, you probably know the joke of is it live or is it Memorex. Um, this is an article by a guy I'd never heard of before. His name is C.J. Hopkins, and it's called The Last Days of the Covidian Cult. And, uh, of course, if you're uh, not haven't lived under a rock your whole life, and if you're more than about 15 years old, you should probably recognize the picture that he's used there in the center uh, of the screen right now and where that came from. That is the aftermath of Jonestown, which, of course, was you know Jim Jones and his cult, and they went down to uh, South America, and they were going to change the world for the better, and, and he was the second coming of God or whatever. And when it all started to fall apart, the cult killed itself. They committed suicide. If you've ever heard the term, drank the Kool-Aid, and again, if you've been living under a rock or something, and you uh, are not aware of what drank the Kool-Aid means, I, I got to say, um, I really don't, 
know how, how a person doesn't know that, but Drank the Kool-Aid comes from uh, the Jonestown Massacre, where one of these people realized that they were um, not going to uh, be able to carry on the way that they were, that, that people were going to be uh, let out that wanted to leave, and that the, the authorities were coming. Um, I'll tell you right now that uh, they, they basically all consumed uh, Kool-Aid, that was laced with cyanide and committed mass suicide, right? And I think a lot of people believe that the people down there all just willingly did this, like they all just jumped off the cliff willingly together, and they didn't. What happened is a lot of the people decided, okay, I've had enough of this. I, I thought we were coming down here to get along with other races and grow food and live in a hippie commune. I didn't know we were in a death cult. And so I think you guys can stay here. And you can continue to uh, follow this dude, and you can kill yourself if you want to, but I want to leave. And they're like, oh, you're not leaving. You're staying with us. And you will drink the Kool-Aid. And I think we're headed there right now because there are people that are so vested in this, either psychologically or logistically, that they cannot let go. And at the same time, you can only bullshit people for so long before reality sets in. And I'm going to remind you guys of this. I've got... A screenshot of a tweet that I made, and, and people ask me why I use Twitter, because it's the most verifiable thing that I still use, where when I say I said something, somebody can look it up and go, yeah, he did say it. Because um, I don't get any traction on Twitter. If you're seeing me on the live feed on Twitter right now, I'm shocked that you're even seeing me. Um, but I said this, and I, again, Twitter always puts a nice little date on this. At 6.54 p.m. on January the 4th, 2022, which is about three weeks ago now, I said Omicron is mild, very much so, so get ready. When this wave ends for the narrative to be the Vax defeated COVID, then to keep it defeated, everyone needs annual boosters. And I, I, I'm telling you, that's exactly what I think is happening. I think we're watching it. I think it's becoming more true every day that that's the case. And I think that's, that's why I, I put that up there, that when I when I decided that's what was going to come next, I wanted to be on record so that no one could ever say, no, you didn't say it. And I think that one of the most important things that we can do right now is we all need to be documentarians to a degree because it is not just that that is happening. A tremendous amount of mainstream media is acting an awful lot like a lot of German citizens did when the Allies liberated Germany. Oh, we, we, we didn't know. We were pulled along. We didn't know what was really going on. Or we were against it the whole time, man. We didn't have anything to do with this. We were misled, just like you. Oh, we never said that. It wasn't our idea, right? You can see the rats jumping off the fucking ship right now, folks. And they are swimming like a son of a bitch away from the USS Covades. They are terrified of the reckoning that's coming. And there's only one reason there is only one reason that you swim away from the ship that fast because you knew you knew the whole time and so now we're trying to decide where we go in this who do we become and the true covidians will not let go they will keep trying to force their belief system on the rest of the world and there are pe and i don't just mean the people in power that are part of this i mean there are people who have a mental illness because of this mass psychosis and they actually like being locked up and they want you locked up too i'm looking at you howard stern who's become a fucking coward by the way 
who even when I thought you were an asshole, at least I respected your willingness to say what you thought. Now you're hiding in a hole and you want everybody shot up too so that you can go play chess again. What a pussy. What an absolute pussy. I mean, my God. And that is one famous person. For every famous person that has gone into full-on neurosis here, let me tell you what, there's there's 10,000 of your fellow citizens, and I was going to say Americans, but really this is all around the world, who they like their face diapers, they like this level of control, and they want to be held back. They want to be held down because it's very simple. If you're the kind of person that can't succeed in a meritocracy, what do you want? You want Harrison Bergeron. You want everybody with the band around their head equalizing everybody down to the same level so that you can feel like you are actually accomplished and you can actually do things and you are actually useful. That's what you want. And 2022's version of Harrison Bergeron, instead of the band around the head, is the muzzle around the mouth. It is dehumanizing other people. It is It is teaching our children, actually it's regressing our children from communications because so much of communication is in our faces and our expressions. You know, my my uh, granddaughter in her schooling, which is a private school that we do from home, uh, one of the things they're learning in kindergarten is called uh, emotional learning. And this is, imp- I mean, some people would be like, ah, they don't need that. Like, that's just some touchy-feely crap. No, it's a thing. I remember all the way back in the 80s when mainstream media actually did some actual you know, journalism and uh, people like John Stossel were actually mainstream still and, and on TV regularly. And uh, 2020 was actually a news show. Uh, I remember John Stossel doing a thing in like probably 86, 87 time frame and they were showing these kids pictures of people and these were young kids. These were six, seven-year-old kids. Is this person afraid, happy, sad, angry, and they couldn't tell? It takes actually takes, and for some it takes longer, it takes time for humans to learn to look at a person and understand how that person is feeling emotionally based on the expressions on their face. And guess what? You can't do it very well when the person looks like this. You're taking 75% of the visual cues. And by the way, most of the people willing to do this, I got my hand over my face for those that are on the audio only. All you see is their eyes, and you know what you see in their eyes, don't you? The ones that willingly do this crap right now, what do you see in their eyes, folks? What's the word? It's one word. It starts with an F. Fear. So you have children going through life in that developmental stage, and all they see from all the adults around them is covered-up faces and fucking fear eyes. You don't think that's intentional? And what do you think is going to happen when this falls apart. Do you think everybody's going to be like, oh shit, we were wrong, it's okay, let's all go back to the way things were. No, it is not just the elite that are going to cling to this and try to make something out of it. It's all the sheep that are still walking around with two or three masks on their face when we know it doesn't matter if you put 50 on your face. They don't work. We know this now. Even the mainstream media, like I said, they're like the Germans says, oh, I didn't know there was a concentration camp in my backyard. I had, I had no idea what that smell was coming up out of those, those smokes. I, I didn't know. I, I, I just, you know, I worked in the factory. Yeah, we made bombs and stuff, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I didn't know. That's the media right now. And even with the media backpedaling so fast, they're in danger of taking it up the butt from somebody behind them. 
the Covidians still believe. The Covidians still want you to drink the freaking cyanide too. And it's going to get ugly. It's going to get really, really ugly. Um, let's move on to something totally different so we don't just get bogged down in just this. Um, oh, it's an interesting thing. Cletus here says, um, what Kloss say the next evolution is that of crisis management economy or something to that effect? That's interesting. What, what Klaus actually said, and I think I closed the tab for this. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Because it just made me think of this. And I want to share this with you. There's an actual quote from uh, Satan Claus. Let me get this up. That's, that's actually more to the point, I think, than Cletus's quote. This is what Schwab said. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. The most important word in that quote, because it told you that they knew the whole time, that it was a house of cards that they could only keep up for a very short time, is narrow. People like this don't randomly just say shit. Everything they say is for a reason. Everything they say is to send signals. And everything they say is curated and prepared for them carefully, as carefully as a speech is written for a president. Narrow was there for a reason. It was never, ever, ever going to last. Now, let's go ahead and move on to, uh, to something a bit different here. Um, I had a person email me, and I think they are either from Australia or New Zealand, somewhere down that bottom part of the world, and they said, I want to grow my own food, and I want to raise livestock, and I want to do all these things that you guys talk about. I want to be able to do permaculture, uh, you know, but I want to have a big garden. I want to produce a lot of my own food, if not all of it. And that's, that's already like, okay... When we go into that and we've never done it before, you're not going to produce all of your own food. Most people are never going to produce all of their own food. And most people shouldn't even try. right? And we can talk about that toward the end of this segment. But when people are starting from absolute zero with this, like you didn't grow up like me where we, we basically had a subsistence garden. We had a little bit of livestock, but we had you know friends that kept livestock and we did some things to like maybe you know do business with them and maybe a little bit of uh, turkey or beef would come this way or that way uh, or even if we bought it we bought it for less than you would in the store like and I grew up with that and if you haven't even had that like you didn't have a grandfather that stood over you while you were pruning uh, off the suckers off tomatoes and tell you you were doing it wrong or whatever then you have kind of a big hill in front of you to get up to at least the place where it's not a plateau, but the, the, the slope gets a little more shallow, right? So it's not quite a steep ride up like it is in the beginning. And if you start out right from the very beginning with, I want to learn how to do it all now. Where's the book or the course or whatever I do to start? What you are is a great prospect for con men. Buy my course and you'll learn everything you know to produce 100% of your own food right out of the gate. Like, that is not a thing. And the best thing that people can do is, instead of saying, well, where, what book or what course or whatever do I start with, is start out with a basic analysis of yourself. And I think a PDC is a great choice. A permaculture design course is a great thing for a lot of people 
But I think if you have no inkling at all about gardening and things like that, a PDC doesn't really teach that. It might throw some techniques and stuff in there, but it's more of a design course. But we can still learn from design. And the first thing you want to do in a design, if you have a client, you, you do not analyze the client's house or their yard or their land or anything like that. The first thing we analyze is the client. What do they know? What are they willing to learn? How long are they willing to work? What do they like? I'm not going to grow radishes in a garden for someone, no matter how good the climate is, if they hate radishes, right? And I'm not going to design a system that needs 20 hours of work a week if I think that person's only going to be willing to actually do five. And so I want to analyze the client if I'm designing for someone. If I'm not designing for someone, I'm designing for myself and I am my own client. So we need to start with, let's analyze the client. So that's me. And if you are a family, then it's your whole family. How much, how much work are they really willing to do? Are you, cause a lot of times like, we're all going to do this and no dude, like, or no ma'am, like, you're going to do this and your kids are going to have very little to do it and your spouse is not going to have anything to do with it and that's okay. Right? And maybe when you get it going and maybe when it becomes cool, maybe they'll want part of it, but initially a lot of times it's going to be just you. That's who's going to be doing it. Right? And so analyze yourself and analyze Like even if your family's not going to be involved, what will they eat? And then say, okay, then these are the things that I want to start having to produce first. And then analyze your climate type and what do people that garden, what kind of technique do they use? Are you in a place where everybody does raised beds? There's probably a reason. Maybe they're wrong, but they're probably not. Or are you in a place where everybody just digs down into the ground and does an in-the-ground the bed, right, with no borders whatsoever? There's also probably a reason. Not everybody should do raised beds. They don't make sense for everybody. When I lived in Pennsylvania, we had this nice flat little piece of bottomland, and we gardened in the same rows every year, and I dug them up every year because my grandfather told me to, and if I would have told him we're going to put in raised beds, he would have freaking smacked me in the head. And so what are you doing? First of all, where are we going to get all this earth from? Where are we going to get all this dirt? It's not free, dude. We have this great fertile soil I've been working on since way before you were born, before your daddy was born. Why would we do that? And he would have been absolutely right. But if he came here, he would have understood real quickly we're probably going to do raised beds or nothing's going to survive because we don't have enough soil and because of the climate and what have you. So you analyze yourself and then figure out how to do one or two things and do those things. I don't care if you learn from videos. I don't care if you learn from a book. And I don't care which book you learn from. If you're in a cold climate, going to Elliot Coleman's books on Four Season Gardening would probably be great. If you live in the tropics... Not so great. You figure out what you need to know, and once you know what you need to know, the path will become... And this is, this is not just gardening, guys. This is life. Once you know what you want to know and why you want to know it, it will be impossible for anybody in our modern age to prevent you from knowing it. You will not be able to not learn, um, period. So that's the approach with anything. Analyze yourself, determine what you really want and what you really need, and the why behind it, and then figure out how to do that, and do that thing. This is why as big as I am on starting your own seeds, because it saves money and it gives you a lot more options, if you're gardening in year one, and you want to try a little bit of that, go ahead, but don't put a lot of energy into it. Direct sow and go buy, go buy plants, because learning to garden is a skill set. Learning to maintain fertility in that garden is a skill set. Learning to manage that garden for the season 
is a skill set. Learning to harvest from it is a skill set. And if you have a surplus, learning how to deal with that, 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 that surplus is a skill set. That's enough for anybody in year one. If you want to add livestock, then pick one. And then the first thing you do, determine the infrastructure you need to keep it safe and alive. Then number two, put in the infrastructure. And then number three, go get the livestock. And if you don't do it in that order, and most people don't, then you will be miserable in your first experience, and most people are. So that's that's my my best thoughts on that one. Um, I also got a question for somebody. This was interesting to me because I have a kind of a cool story to go along with it. They wanted to know, when is it worth it to restore a firearm, and when is it not worth putting money into it? And if we take something that we don't get as attached to, usually and we use a car, and we ask the same question, we get a very simple answer. If I have a car, and I look at that car, and I say, right now I can sell that car for, it's it's messed up, but I could get two grand for it. Um, if I fix it, to fix it the way it needs to be fixed, I'm going to put $4,000 into it. If after I put, And if I do a fair market valuation on the car, if it's fixed, if the car's worth six thousand dollars or less right and and really like even five hundred like sixty five hundred or whatever because you don't know if you're going to get it and it's not really that much money the best thing you can probably do is sell the car take the two thousand dollars put the four thousand dollars with it and go buy a car that's actually worth six thousand dollars does that and, and not not waste your time energy and money on it because it when you put the money in it's a net loss And that's how we should make the decision about anything. Do we fix a, a, a rifle? In this case, it was an old 30-30. What is that rifle fixed worth? What can And if you're like, well, I want one from the 60s or whatever, right? Okay, great. Well, what would it cost me to go buy one that was made in the 60s that was as good as this one can be made for the money it's going to take me to make it um, that way. And if the answer is it'll cost me less than fixing this one, or I can sell this one and then use that money plus a little bit more and I'm still ahead, then you should do that. In this case, though, the individual was talking about a rifle that had belonged to a family member who had killed quite a few deer with it and it had some sentimental value. So I'm going to say then you... then. If the numbers work, you just go ahead and do it anyway, because it makes sense. If the numbers almost work, that sentimental value is probably worth doing it, so you can take that out and you can hunt with it again. Okay? Um, because then you're, you're preserving that legacy. If you really have sentimental value, but it will never make sense financially to restore it, then maintain it and turn it into a wall hanger, and maybe someday it will make sense or somebody will be willing to do it. And so there is an emotional quotient in things like that. And we're probably not talking about something you're going to go out and get $50,000 for, so it's not a lot of money anyway. And if you don't really need the money for something else, then it's probably worth just hanging on to. That said, there's a couple more things to this. Number one, it is seldom the case that a, a firearm actually degrades if it's been maintained at all to the point where it is unsafe. Guns are inherently one of the best-built, safest items on the market, and they have been for as long as modern guns have been made. So 
this sounded like it had some slop in the action and what have you, and that could be indicative of a problem. So since you're not a qualified gunsmith, or you wouldn't be asking me this, that gun should go to a qualified gunsmith if you're going to consider this at all. And that qualified gunsmith should be able to say, this, this weapon is safe and it needs some tuning. This weapon has the potential to have a catastrophic failure and it can be fixed. This weapon has the potential to have a catastrophic failure and it cannot be fixed without heroic measures, let's say. Like rebuilding the whole thing where it's not even the same gun anymore. And, and then you have to make a decision based on that, right? Then the other thing is you have to not let a gunsmith make a decision for you because he thinks he's doing it in your best interest and he's not. I have a very old uh, 1917 Enfield 30-06. Yes, I said Enfield 30-06. Uh, yes, they, Enfields were 303 British, but we also made them for World War I right here in America, and they served alongside the Springfields. And this was, it was bubbaized. I would never have done this to the weapon if I had gotten my hands on it first, but somebody else did a sporting uh, job on it, and a pretty good one. It's incredibly accurate. The person that did it drilled and tapped for scopes back when all scopes were like really long. They probably did this job in the 60s. And it came with a cheap Tasco on it. And every modern scope, like in a 3x9 range, which is perfect for that rifle, wasn't quite long enough to sit down in where the rings were mounted to the, the rifle. So I took this to a gunsmith and I said, what I'd like to do is basically have these this drill and tap weld it in, and have it redone. And his response was, you don't want to do that. Well, why don't you think I want to do that? And he said, well, because it's not worth it. You could just go buy another one for what it would cost to do that. I don't want another one. I want the one that has the, the serial number that is the 29th one that ever came off the line at Remington. And since it's already been damaged, and it will never be a collector item, I still want it. And since it shoots freaking half-inch groups at 100 yards, I still want it. By the way, with like cheapo green and yellow Remington ammo, like it's worth it to me. So in the end, with anything like this, we can make this rational decision. But if you have the means and you have the desire and it's doable, it's up to you if you want to do it. And I think there's a place for that too. But then you have to be willing to kind of push back on that person. And then some might, like some gunsmiths stay so busy, you know, you give them a gun and a year later you might get it back. So you might want to ask, like, if you don't want to do this, who does? Right, and you know somebody that will take this on, uh, and that's what I had to do to get that job done. The guy that I went to originally, he didn't want to do it. It wasn't even really he was looking out for me. He just didn't want to do it. I don't think he had the capabilities to do it, so he made something up. So just know that, and that again would spread out. It's not just guns; it would be anything. But the more money's involved, the more you need to go to the rational, and the less money that's involved, the more you can edge towards sentimental. Uh, next, I had a person ask, I guess because of my show that I did Monday on Muscovy Ducks, I live on this lake. It's like, you know, a couple thousand acres of water. It's public lake, and ducks can go for miles out on the water. If I get Muscovy Ducks and I train them on my property and they have access to that lake, will they come back at night? Yes, probably, most likely, if you train them properly. So if you go out and get adult Muscovy Ducks, and you put them on your property, and you open it wide open to them, and then they head out to that water, believe it or not, there's probably still a 50-50% chance that if you fed them and they kind of understand, like, this is our place, 
they probably won't go very far initially and they probably will choose you as home and that probably won't be a problem. I don't like probably. I prefer definitely. So what I would do in this scenario is I would bring my at least my initial flock in. Okay? And I would imprison them in some way. I would prevent them from accessing the wide open. So I would clip, I would clip wings so they can't fly over and I would use electronet or I would use fencing, I would use a coop and a run, something like that. And I would feed them and I would take care of them for probably a couple weeks. And after that, they're going to home. They're going to home as strongly as pigeons. This is how you do pigeons. My, my great uncle Pete did pigeons. You get the pigeon, you put it in the coop, and you put it in its own little area in the coop. Maybe a pair you put together when you do this, and you don't let them out. And then for a while, you kind of let them into what's called a fly, which means they can get out of the coop, but they can't get out completely. And when they start going back to their little compartment every night like you want them to, then you can let them fly with the rest of the flock. They'll fly out, they'll forage, and they'll come back. Muscovies kind of work the same way. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Once they have a place they like, they don't leave because how many places do you go to, like city parks and stuff, and the ducks are there, and the ducks are there all the time, and the ducks never leave. Why? People come and feed them. They have water, they have some, some level of security, at least they feel that way, and they have a food supply. They're not going to leave. They're not going to migrate, they're not going to go away. And uh, the guy that runs 50 Ducks in a Hot Tub, you can look up his YouTube channel, He does exactly what you're talking about. He lives on like a 2,300-acre lake, or he did. I don't know if he's still there because uh, I had him on so long ago. But they, they, the ducks go out every day, and he feeds them when they come home. And they come, and that's not just the Muscovies. It's all the ducks. They go out. They eat minnows. They have fun. It sounds like a great life. Now, here's the other thing, though. There's no guarantee that people won't hunt your ducks, even if they're not supposed to. And I don't mean necessarily like you know decoys and shooting them out of the air. I mean like, hey, there's a duck. I want a duck. Uh, and they certainly are subject to predation and things like that. But if it, it, it also will probably balance in that they're going to get so much forage that you're not going to really have to worry about feeding them as much. And I think the guy from 50 Ducks in a Hot Tub, when I had him on the show, I'm not one to pick on a man, but I'm like, wait, you're way overfeeding your ducks, dude. You're, you're, he's like, well, they plow through it. And I was just thinking, they'll eat all you give them. That doesn't mean they need it. And the less you feed them, the more they'll eat. So if you feed them a little bit in the morning... And then you feed them a reasonable amount in the evening in that scenario, you could probably drive your feed costs through the floor, maybe feed half what I do. But you're going to have to condition the behavior first if you want it to be reliable and not probably. All right, next up, um, I hear a lot about Signal, which I'm not a huge fan of because I'm not a huge fan of Jack Dorsey. Um, the secret chat functionality on Telegram is as good or better than Signal, by the way. Remember, though, when you're using Telegram, secret chat is only between two people. There is no secret chat in a group because that doesn't really make a lot of OPSEC in the first place. You have a group that people can join publicly, and then you have secret chat. And so your Fed guy is just sitting there going, hey, guys, what do you think about this? Right? All right. So you only have that one-to-one -one communications in secret chat. We can use things like Sphinx chat through Start9 server, which right back here... Um, there, that's my little Start9 server, that's small. And I can use Sphinx Chat with that, and we can go device to device. And we can go through my server, and you're not, not only are you not decrypting it, you're probably not seeing it. And you would think, well, all of those 
are ways that we can now have conversations using our smart devices with each other and the government doesn't know. Probably, but not all the time. And you need to know this, and I don't think anybody's telling you this, so I'm going to tell you this. You can break any encryption by not having to use the encryption at all. If you are a cellular carrier, if you're the government working with a cellular carrier, or if you're a nefarious manufacturer of smartphone applications. Um, let's say that you have something on the screen of your phone and you want to save it and you know you just want to be able to look at it again in the future. What do you do? Push a couple buttons, you make a screenshot, right? And you can save that to your camera roll. There are apps, and it was found as far back as 2014. Uh, there was a little bit of hubbub about it in 2018 with some other apps getting caught doing it. You can remotely cause a screenshot to be taken of a phone. You can even do it with specific frequencies or when other specific things are being um, are being used, right? So you can basically say when this, when if this, then that. So if Telegram is open, then you know frequency five seconds screenshot and send. So if an app manufacturer can do that, don't you think your government can? So you can have the greatest encryption whatsoever, but if your device is subject to being screenshot and remotely sending those screenshots they can, in fact, see all of your communications and the communications from the other side. Now, they may not be specifically aware of who that is if you're using you know, pseudonyms and stuff like that, but it probably won't take them long to figure it out. Then they can start doing it to them. So I'm not saying this is happening wide-scale right now, but I'm telling you that this idea that just because your encryption is solid that you can't be decrypted, is false, and it's not really decryption, but does it matter? If your communications are intercepted, your communications are intercepted, period, the end, go out. And it amazes me that no one talks about this. If you look for it, you can find it, but no one talks about this. I see people communicating on social media all the time uh, and saying, like, you know, when you're doing this, you should use Signal or whatever. Well... You know, it's actually fairly difficult if you're running a well-secured home network. It can be difficult anyway for them to be able to do it with desktops or laptops or stuff like that. If they're running on, you know, a network connection and that network connection is secured. And, and anything can be hacked. But it is beyond easy. It is beyond easy to do it on a smart device. And it's something you should know. And I just wanted you guys to know that. Uh, next up, let's talk a little bit about Meatloaf, man. Um, or is he's lesser known by uh, Marin, uh, Marvin Lee Aday. That's actually Meatloaf's uh, God-given slave name is Marvin Lee Aday. The reason I kind of wanted to mention this, you know, I got up this morning and my wife's like, oh my God, Meatloaf died, is immediately when I heard that, I felt a sense of loss, even though I, I've never met Meatloaf in person. He's not a friend. We never corresponded, you know, by snail mail or email or anything like that. Never so much. Just got a shout out on social media from him. So I, I don't have a personal loss in the individual, but I still felt a sense of loss. And it's because as soon as I heard that, the first thing I thought of was driving my 1975 Pontiac Grand Prix LJ with a 455 in it and my Rochester Quadrijet opening up and this car that I had bought for 250 bucks and had to put a transmission in two weeks after I got it. But I had my Radio Shack 
stereo head. And I had my 6x9 speakers, and I had my, my big old 20-watt uh, power amplification thing that sat in my car. And I, I would blast all kinds of like 80s metal music back then. But when I heard that he was gone, I thought of listening to Bat Out of Hell and driving around in the sticks in Pennsylvania with my friends, with some of my first girlfriends, things like that. And I realized collectively that there's probably millions of people that had a very similar reaction and thought about those moments and those times. And Meatloaf, to me, is a lot like Jimmy Buffett in a way. Totally different styles. But what I mean by that is it's a very small number of actual hits. The hits that were hits for Meatloaf were mega hits. And some of his other music is not that great. But everybody, everybody in the mid-'80s in the coal region of Pennsylvania that had a car had a, had a, a, a tape of Bat Out of Hell in that car. And if you cruised around in that car for a night on a weekend, sooner or later, no matter what you were listening to, that tape was going to go in, that stereo. And you were probably going to end up with too many people crammed into the car because not everybody had a car and singing Bat Out of Hell or uh, Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth or Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Like You were going to end up there. And a lot of times it would end up being you would play that tape from the beginning and an auto-reverse would kick on and you would play it all the way to the end because it was a story. That entire album was a story. It actually came from a musical play that was only ever done one time. And half the music's from that play. And the other half, uh, and Milof wrote the music for that play. I don't remember what it was called now, but the other half was written in between the existing music score. And so, to me, that is just, it's just something that is universal for people. And I think that we need some things that are universal that are not, you know, big old controversies right now. Like, you can find left, right, middle, anarchist, like, people, if you are, if you're 40 to 80, you probably have some link to the story that I just told. And you have some memory linked to the story that I told, and I think it's good that we, uh, that we focus on that. We focus on that. Now, I will admit, you know, like, that album came out, I think, in 78, And, you know, it was huge and big time in 86 when I was in high school, right? Um, and that was, you know, eight years is a long time for music. And I don't know if in the mid-80s it was that big everywhere, but in the small town, northeastern United States, it was. And it's, you know, where I grew up, we were 10 years behind the curve. Somebody that was driving an 82 car in 86 was rich. I mean, that's kind of how we looked at it. Like, most people had cars that were 10, 15, 20 years old at the time. Anyway, um, I wanted to mention that. And I also wanted to uh, to mention one of our community members, uh, a gentleman named Buddy Dempsey, uh, who was just very good to everybody in the community. He did recently, a couple days ago, I believe, pass away from complications due to COVID. And the reason I phrase it that way is he had ended up in the hospital with COVID, um, He had basically recovered from COVID, and the duration of the time, from what I can ascertain, um, he would have been done with the virus part of it. But it, it, you know, people that it hits hard that have other health conditions, and he did, it can aggravate those health conditions. And long after the body has cleared the virus, you can still have complications and even die. And from my understanding, what happened for, to Buddy? was uh, he threw a clot, and it gave him either a stroke or a heart attack, and he passed away. And I just wanted to take a moment to, uh, to recognize him and for his, 
his contributions to TSP. A long time ago when I still used Facebook, I started a group on regenerative agriculture, and he was part of our moderator team there. And it was a tough job, especially in the beginning, because we had adult adolescents that couldn't handle, like, we don't want to do your thing your way anymore. We're going to go do our own thing and share information. And um, he, he did a great job, and he touched a lot of lives, and he was a great guy. And, you know, whenever this happens, people will then say things like, well, then did you get COVID wrong or something, which I think is just stupid. No one ever guaranteed you that you wouldn't die. And we don't know if something had happened to him uh, from a different respiratory illness of the th same thing would occur. We don't know. Um, and uh, Roy is saying, and Roy knew him well, that, um, that Buddy was going to come home. He had a clot in a lung which went to his heart and he died unexpectedly. So, yeah, he was, he was very close to being discharged from the hospital when it happened. But I've never told you that COVID would never kill anybody, unlike some people. What I said is that the, the, the death rate from this is very low and the trade-off of shutting down society for it is not worth it. No matter who we lose, you know, that's, that's still the case. That's still the case. We're still talking well under a half of a percent of, of infection fatality rate. You know, we lost another great member of this community um, last year. And then we, you know, we recognized him at our workshop in November, the Quail Master, uh, Steve Larkin. And Steve didn't die of, uh, of COVID. He did die of a stroke, though. He threw a clot. He had had two kidney transplants in his life, and he looked at it as he had been on borrowed time for 25 years. I remember the year before he came to the workshop, and of course it was during the raging of the first of the COVID pandemic, and somebody asked him something about, like, you know, you have health issues and you're older, and like, and he said, I ain't scared to die. I've been on, I'm on borrowed time for decades. I'm not going to not live my life. And I'm so happy for him that he lived his life. And I think that there's a lesson in that for everybody. So I, I really am, uh, I'm sad to hear that Mr. Dempsey is no longer with us. I'm sad to hear that, uh, you know, Meatloaf is no longer with us. But this is the reality of the world. People live. We live for a time. We get that dash in the middle to do something with. And when we lose somebody, instead of saying, oh, let's all go hide, we should be saying, you know, that could have been me. It could have been me. It could have been a, a heart attack, a stroke, a disease, cancer, getting hit by a gravel truck, getting in a car accident. People die every day. And that's more reason to live, not less. And so I wanted to mention both of those and say that. Um I also want to talk real quick about the fact that I am going to debate a flat earther. Um, I actually would have preferred to get somebody like uh, Professor Dave or some other scientist to do that, just because I think they would be maybe more amusing than me with it, not because I can't handle it. And uh, our friend that I'm going to debate has already demonstrated his ignorance um, when I suggested that maybe he would want to debate somebody that's more of a scientist, that's more in their wheelhouse. Because he said, no, you just want to appeal to authority now. That's not how appeals to authority work. That's just, hey, let me, if you're this switched on to this and you can prove it's all fake, let me switch you on to somebody who uh, will, will speak to you in, you know, the language of the physicist or whatever. But he wants to do me, so I'll do it. I am not going to do it right away, though. I have shit to get ready for. We have the, um, we have the, uh, the, the Anarchopolical watch party come up. I'm still working on my presentation for that. I need to do a good job with that. I'm going to be seen by thousands and thousands and thousands of people doing that. Way more important to me than, than, than dealing with this guy. But 
I'll do it the weekend after it. So the weekend is the 17th through 19th-ish that we're doing the watch party. And then so the 26th, which is a Saturday at 11 Central Time, I will debate our Flat Earth friend. And we'll save that. But I, I just wanted to talk about, well, why... Why do people believe this bullshit in the first place? Like, why do people think this is a thing? And I'm going to show you something here that I shouldn't have to explain. I do have to explain it because some, you know, most of the people that hear this are going to um, hear it on audio, and they're not going to see this unless they go look this up. But what I have in front of me right now is a, is a graphic, an animated graphic. And this shows how Flat Earthers explain how night and day works. I shouldn't have to tell you the flaws here. You have the Earth and Moon opposite each other going around a disk and the Sun hitting the disk that is the Earth like a flashlight hitting a desk from five feet above and thereby creating daytime where the light is and everywhere else is dark. There's a couple problems here. Number one, we know that the planet is exactly... 50% night and 50% day at any given time. We know that. Um, this does not explain why light would dissipate and only work this way. It also leaves one with any level of observational capability questioning where in this do we get a solar eclipse. Now I guess the moon could be a little bit lower than the sun and maybe they move at different speeds and maybe this perfect offset would you know get underneath Okay, fine. Maybe we could explain a solar eclipse and still use this model. Now, the predictability of eclipses? I don't know. Okay, where do you get a lunar eclipse in this model? How do you see the shadow of the Earth against the moon in this model? The answer is you don't. It's not possible. It can't be done. There is no way. The end. Over. And with just that, we have... We're done. There, there's, there's, there's no way this works. And there's a bunch of other things that I'll save for that debate. But you can just look at basic observational things. There is a statue from the 2nd century B.C. that's probably a copy of something that goes back much earlier that has one of, I can't remember who it is, but one of the, the like Roman gods holding the globe up on his back. Second century, uh, I'm sorry, second century A.D. That's quite a long time before 1400s and Columbus sailing the ocean blue. And, and, and these people figured this out by observation, right? That, that's how they figured it out. Um, and somebody's asking if they believe the rest of the planets are flat too. That's, That's something we'll say for that day. I wanted to talk more um, about why. Why? Why do people believe something this ridiculous? The answer, you ever see the movie The Matrix? They want to be Nero, uh, Neo. They want to be the hero. They want to be the one that's fighting. Now, I think these people in general are not completely stupid people. I've met them in real life at times, and like they can be articulate. They can have real jobs. They're not all eating Hot Pockets in Mom's basement. I think we do a disservice to ourselves and others when we characterize them all that way. And we do a disservice to ourselves because we then we can't understand what's going on. I do think, by and large, they are the person, though, that if they were walking through a parking lot and they saw somebody being assaulted, they might yell and wave their hands and pick their phone up and call 911, but they're not that likely to directly intervene. 
especially if the you know the person's getting beat up by two two guys. And those guys both could probably take the person out. Like they don't have the courage to really put themselves at risk to be the hero, but they want to be the hero. Probably read a lot of comic books when they were kids. Probably really like superhero movies. That type of person is free. And I'll tell you, I talk about generalizations being accurate. Um, I meet almost no women on or offline that believe in this. This is a man thing. This is a man thing. And I, I see it perfectly. Because men have these fantasies of things that are never going to happen. And they write themselves in as the hero. There's not a, kid, you know, a a person my age that when we were a kid didn't at some point see ourselves as Captain Kirk on the Enterprise, kissing the green girl and saving the day, or being the cowboy hero or something like that. Men are far more predisposed to this fantasy stuff than women are. I should say boys than girls are. Girls fantasize about like having ponies and stuff like that. And I know that's sexist in the mind of some people, but it's true, and it's not all, but it's a preponderance. Some men... They may grow up as far as being providers for their homes and things like that. But that fantasy place where they're the hero, where they're Von Dom at the, the, the Kumite, right, or whatever it is, it doesn't go away. And eventually they find something that lets them become the hero, fighting the Matrix. And so if I can unveil this to humanity and show them the truth, we will liberate humanity. The big problem here, there is no enslavement of humanity by convincing them that the earth is shaped differently. There's no motivation to this, but it still fits the fantasy. And I believe most of the source of this information, most of the people putting this information out, the high priests of flat earth, they know they're full of shit. But hey, I found something that gets views, and a thing that gets views makes money, and I'll just keep doing this. Because when you look at how they explain their shit, I will give them this. Anything you point out, they do have an answer for. They've come up with a way that at least in the mind of someone who is easily manipulated, well, that, that, that could work. The problem is all the explanations are ad hoc and none of them are unified. They do not have a unified model because you can't because it won't work. And they come up with shit, right? And when 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 they come up with shit and then it's proven wrong, they just adapt and, and misdirect. So for a long time in this 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 you know next rendition of uh, next rendition of flat eartherism, uh, they they said that no one can go to Antarctica. You're not allowed. The Antarctic Treaty exists specifically to keep you out of Antarctica. So some, then somebody posts like pictures and movies of people taking Antarctic cruises and going all around Antarctica and even stepping on the surface and no giant force of UN guns comes out and makes them leave, right? So then they say, well, you can't even fly from Argentina to Australia. So then somebody says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I, I have an idea. Maybe I should, before I believe this, I should go like to Qantas and see, can I fly from Buenos Aires to Sydney? Turns out you can. So then they say, well, you can, but, oh, wait a minute. Now they got this flat earth model, and the path the plane has to take 
would take far longer than the flight time. Like there's when you go out on a on a disc, it actually is longer on the outside than the inside, right? Like a record player. And so how do they get? Well, there's these really fast winds. Okay, well how fast are the winds? 200 kilometers an hour. Okay, planes don't do that. They don't fly in 200 kilometer winds. It's dangerous. And if they did, it still doesn't make up enough of the difference to make up your timeline. By the way, how do they get back? Like they're so it's this is so easy but they believe it. And it's because of this intellectual freaking I don't know what you would call intellectual is not the world uh, word like mental manipulation and masturbation and it's because they want to be the hero. They want to be the hero and since they can't be the hero, they find a place where they can play the part. And it's sad. And I really do not want to do what I'm about to do in February. But I'm done. And I even had a sniper here going on and on about the moon landing. One nut job fantasy disrailed at a time. We'll do this one and then maybe we'll consider that. Um, you know, <laughs> and uh, somebody's mouthing about gyroscopes. I don't know if it's a joke or not. I'm not even really interested. Because I want to talk about one more thing since we're talking about delusions. That has nothing to do with everything we've talked up to now except for the pattern recognition in it. So this week I did a podcast on Wednesday, and it, maybe I titled it poorly when I said when I called it Fixing Government, because that's what the guest wanted to call it. And I, I think a better title for that one would have been Stopping Local Government Corruption, because that's what the episode was really about. And I tried to explain that, and I still had some of y'all, there's no fixing government. You're talking to an anarchist. We're using the same language. You're just not listening because you've gone into the world of puritism. Uh, but that's not actually the part I want to talk about. In that episode, to be very clear where I stood on this, because I would say the gentleman I was talking to is open to anarchistic ideas, but he's a minarchist libertarian. He likes Larkin Rose. You can't like Larkin Rose and be your common average everyday statist. Like, those two things won't go together. He's probably a guy that's in that transitional stage. So what a lot of you guys want to do is beat him over the fucking head, and if you want to make sure a libertarian never becomes an anarchist, do that shit. Right? Start smacking them around and telling them they're stupid and they don't know what they're doing, and then you wonder why. Well, why, what, why won't they be part of our club? Because you're a dick to them. Still not what I want to talk about. What I said in that was, to be clear to him, when he started talking about school voucher programs and all, I'm like, yeah, it would be better. But just to be clear where I'm coming from, I'm saying we don't need any public education system at all. In fact, we shouldn't even call it public education. We should call it government schooling. And that sounds like such a terrible idea that we just shouldn't do it. And I gave my rationale about how people can get an education outside the system. I had somebody come on my blog, you've lost your mind. You've lost your mind. How could we ever survive without this? You say people could learn online, but how would they know who's scamming them and who isn't? Really? Really? So the, the, uh, the, 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 the public education system isn't scamming people right now with the curriculum that they're shoving down the throat of their children. See, the difference is when your school district's doing it, there is a way to fight back to a degree, but there's also a lot of force behind it and coercion behind it. And they have your money to use against you. You know, I talk about status jujitsu, and we do it, but we also, you know, you can have all the jujitsu skills you want, and if you're a 130-pound dude, 
and some guy's like 400 pounds of muscle that has no neck, good luck. He's still going to grab you by the face, and he's going to take you, like, like what was it, in uh, Avengers or whatever it was, right, with Hulk and the, the uh, Loki, like, The God, he's like, smack, 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 puny God, and thro like throws him out the window and shit. Like, that's, that's still going to happen to a degree because they have your own. So when you talk about jujitsu using the opponent's, you know, power against them, they've taken your power to use against you. It's called your money. So you don't have, you only have limited recourse. And you have limited resource in that recourse because they took your money. So an average middle-class family in America today, if they look at their property tax bill, is spending somewhere north of $1,000 a year on taxes that are for education. And there's other ways that education's uh, funded that also comes out of their pocket. Just call it grand a year. You give the average person $1,000 a year, can they go out and buy an Ivy League you know, preschool education? No, but they have a lot of funding that's now available for a lot of resources for their children to become educated. They might actually talk to their neighbors. They might start, you know, forming co-ops. They might start pulling resources. But the point would be they'd have a choice. So why do people think we need it? Because they grew up with it, and because they grew up with it, they can't see a way around it. That's why. That's the only reason why. It's another form of, you know, Stockholm Syndrome. I hate using the same answer over and over again with so many things, but it is. And here's why you know it's the case. Every objection they give you, you can already point to an example of it. Some kids won't get an education. Here's a bunch of kids that we spent $20,000 a year on a piece by headcount that didn't get an education. Can't read, can't write, and they have a diploma. Don't have an education. Don't know what the fuck they're doing. No clue whatsoever. Right? Well, some kids will get abused by their parents because they won't be in school. I didn't know those kids went to school 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Here's a whole bunch of kids that get abused by their parents that go to school. Right? Oh, by the way, here's a whole bunch of kids that go to school and get abused at school. By teachers, by janitorial workers, by other students. Right? Every single objection. Here is that happening now. So this, 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 this is the fantasy of statism. That without the state, these horrible things that happen anyway would be happening. So we need the state to prevent the horrible things from happening that happen every day. But more of them would happen. But they don't know. But they don't know. And, and Roy is saying, and I'm not going to save this one for later, you can buy a lot of education resources with $1,000 in a homeschool setting. Uh, you absolutely can. Um, we use Excellus Academy, and it's $80 a month. So that's under $1,000. And that's because we want to have the transcript and all, and we want the support. You can have the materials from Excellus for free. You can take the classes for free, and mom or dad can do the grading and the transcripts and all that. We're really paying for the documentation and for the support. So just like you can get a piece of software and you can learn to use it, or you can get a piece of software and you can buy a tutorial to learn to use it, or you can get a piece of software and go to YouTube and learn how to use it, or you can buy a professional support package to go with it, you get to choose, that's how education should work. And if you start applying this to other places, you start to realize how, how moronic this belief is. Because, well, we need education. What else do we need? We need food. Should the government take over food 100%? Well, no, but, okay, stop. Right? 
You know, we need babies. We need babies. Like if the human race doesn't produce babies in a couple generations, there'll be no humans. We'll all be gone. You know, they'll all be gone. So should we let the government take over breeding and say these two people, like they match well, so they need to have two babies? And these people, you know, let's let them have one baby and judge the offspring and like we do with livestock and determine whether or not they should have another one. And this person's so stupid, they shouldn't breed. Doesn't sound like a bad idea, but I don't want to go down that road with coercion. If I can convince the stupid person it's in their best interest not to breed, that would be fine. But I am proof that you can have a stupid person breed and have an intelligent person come out. Because my mom's dumber than a fence post. I'm sorry, but she is. Plain and simple. I'm not. Very simple. Like, you can, dumb people can have smart children. So, but do we want the government to make sure that we breed sufficiently? What else do we need? Aren't there a lot of things human needs, humans need to survive? And aren't there a lot of things that we don't need to just survive but really are beneficial to our thriving? And don't we make our own decisions for most of those things, at least the most part of most of those things? So what makes this so much different? It's what I talked to you guys about earlier this week. My democracy, my sacred democracy. We talked about it yesterday. It was brought up in the Ron Paul Liberty segment, right? Uh, Chris Rossini from Ron Paul's team is the one that hit on that. This thing on TV every day, most sacred democracy, most sacred. We, it's attacking our democracy. And you see, the same the same terminology is used by both sides, left and right, left and right. They use the same thing. They 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 do the appeal to emotion differently, but it's the same talisman. My democracy. Public education has been made into this thing that only special people can do. We need teachers. We need teachers. We need somebody with a master's degree to teach a freaking five-year-old how to write the ABCs. Do we really? You know what? Let me tell you something. In Maryland, they think you do. In Maryland, when you get your bachelor's degree and you get your license to teach, you have five years to get a master's degree if you're teaching kindergarten. Five years to get a master's degree or you lose your license to teach. We live in a world of delusion. A second grader who's mature should be able to teach kindergartners. And we used to do that. It's all bullshit. And you've been led down this path of bullshit. Well, we have to. And I always say to people, the minute you think that or speak it, no matter what it's about, stop. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm challenging you to find out by asking yourself if you might be wrong. We have to. Because the greatest atrocities in the history of humanity have been done because we have to do something. And like I've said over and over again, sometimes you don't have to do anything. All right, so next up, uh, I'm going to start going through your questions, but I'm going to give you guys just a moment here first. If you have questions for me, and it could be anything that we've talked about today, uh, or anything in general that fits what we do here, put your questions in all caps. And I'm going to tell you this, when you write something out and you put a portion of it in all caps in the feed, I don't necessarily think it's for me. I think it's for emphasis. I need all caps um, for all your words. And I'll try to switch back and forth so I don't get too far behind in you, on the feed here. Um, But let's start off. Plant Propagation USA says, Rip Bitcoin, where is the bottom? I don't know. But I will tell you this. 
Every time I could have bought Bitcoin and didn't, it was a mistake. And every time I chose to sell my Bitcoin or spend my Bitcoin, it was a mistake. And if I could go back to when I started with Bitcoin in 2014 and simply never spend or sell one Bitcoin, I would already own the island of Jakarta right now. And so the advice that I'm giving you, which is hold, and when you have drops, buy. Buy the fucking dip. And that doesn't mean go mortgage your house to do it, but every month, DCA, whatever surplus capital you have into Bitcoin, if I had followed that advice starting seven years ago, I'd be rich beyond my wildest dreams right now. I'm following that advice myself, and I'm suggesting you do too. I am not worried about this, and I think it's very difficult sometimes for people to grasp this that haven't been through it. If you've been in the Bitcoin space since 2014, what you're looking at right now is irrelevant to you. You don't even care. If you bought Bitcoin for the first time when it was $60,000, it probably feels pretty hard. It's not. Don't do anything. Relax. It'll be okay. We've done this so many times. In fact, every year that we have a major, major surge... The following year usually is a down year. You know what that spells? Opportunity. Will it be down all 2022? Will it stay down? Will it, I don't know. I don't know, but I know the end game. And I play for the end game. When you're holding something that you're going to hold for decades, you don't care what it did today. And that's just the way to be. Um, next, uh, Jonathan says, I just had to take two unpaid days because all four kids symptomatic, but all tested negative. Yeah. Yeah, we tell people to stay home. You know, you have kids that have runny noses. All of a sudden, you can't go to work. Um, next question, any thoughts on biochar? A uh, little bit. Um, I think the biggest thing that we have to look at when we look at biochar is why we're doing it. So charcoal has almost no fertility at all. If you were to crumble up a bunch of charcoal, put it in a pot, it might look pretty cool. If you put a plant in it and you don't give it any other fertility, you try to grow it, it will grow like shit, if at all. It can't live in there. So we know there's no fertility in it. Charcoal is a house. Because we feed soil. And we build soil. And we do that by providing habitat for beneficial Soil microorganisms. Your plants use a process called exudation to work in symbiosis with soil organisms to obtain minerals they otherwise could not obtain. So here's an example of that. You plant a plant, and the plant needs selenium. There's selenium in the soil. Everywhere has selenium. More than you might imagine. Even places that are selenium deficient have selenium. But it may be in a form that the plant can't get. So the plant excretes an exudate. And it's like a little globule, a little sweet globule. It's like cookies and cakes. It's literally sugars and starches. And if you look at the ratios, it's pretty much like baking a cake for a human. But it actually knows with its intrinsic intelligence, and I'm not saying a tomato plant sits there and thinks, I need selenium, but through Basic adaptation in biology, the tomato predisposed to, to do this is the one that survives. So it produces this little globule, this little exudate on its roots, this little sweet, sugary concoction. 
And along comes a microorganism that likes that, that also is predisposed to produce and consume and excrete on its own way through its little bacterial butt, if you want to call it that, right? Or its little fungal butt. It, it's going to excrete selenium in a form that the plant can consume. So it sucks up, and there's millions of these little things, right? But just think of it individually to be understanding this. It sucks up that exudate, and it poops out. And in the poop is selenium, and the plant with water becoming water-soluble takes the selenium up into the plant. And the plant needs this infinitesimally small amount to be productive. And one of the main things we need selenium in our plants for is not just so we can eat it, because we get all the selenium we want by eating beef, by the way. But we want the selenium in the plant because without sufficient selenium, the plant will produce infertile seed and not be able to propagate itself. In a generation or two of def de deficient selenium, plants become infertile uh, or unreliable in their reproduction. So how does that relate to biochar? The biochar is a house for all the little critters and to store up and hold nutrient that's released. So if we're not charging up our biochar, if we're not doing other things, we can't take infertile soil and just throw biochar in it. It will actually be a net loss when we first apply it if we don't charge it up. And the easiest way to charge it up is to charge it up with nitrogen by peeing on it. All right, so that's my thoughts on biochar. Uh, do you think ducks would do well when rotated with pigs to keep flies down? I'm using Electronet. Probably. I have never done it directly, and I don't have any direct evidence that ducks and pigs get along really well uh, as far as that relationship. And this is from Jason. I, I, the reason I think it will work is, especially Muscovies, there's been a lot of use of them following cattle. And Jeff Lawton said on my show one time, he said he has seen Muscovies just dive bill first into a giant cow patty. He said it looks awful, but it's a, it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful biologic symbiosis. Pig manure is not quite as... Uh, Is, it, it may be useful that way, but I, I can't see that it it wouldn't work. And my my concern would I would be more concerned with what the pigs are eating, to, as to how effective it would be. But the main things that the ducks are going for in that waste stream is actually fly larvae. It's not really like things that pass through the cow. It's fly larvae, and they break the fly cycle, and they also break up the manure. So I would expect that it would work, but I, I can't say for sure that it has in the past. Uh, next up, I'm going to switch back over to live right now and see if I need to star anybody else. Okay, okay. Let's see if anything. Remember, all caps, and I'm not sure how many we're going to do today because we're at like an hour 14 right now. Let's go back here. Um Humble Mechanic. Hey, Charles. Glad you're here with us. Okay, hear me out. Make bad choices with cars like I do. So I guess we were talking about the cars. Like, yeah. Um, you know, and I, that's why I said when I was talking about this, if you have the money and the thing means something to you and you want to restore it because you want to, you know, you have a car or a rifle or anything and it's going to cost money and you want to restore it and then maintain it after it's restored and you want your grandchildren to have it someday and you have the means, I don't have a problem with that, right? And I don't think Charles does either. And I also don't think he has a Charles with, probably doesn't have a problem with the, the basic financial analysis uh, uh, otherwise as well. K-Bonk says, thoughts of ham radio versus internet communications. Um, I am not a huge fan of ham. I don't have anything against it, but I'm not, 
there are people that seem to think it is the end-all, be-all. And I think one thing that people need to understand is, if you're talking, because we were talking about privacy and communications today, there's probably nothing as unprivate as broadcasting across publicly accessible airways. So, ham will work when nothing else will. That, that's, that is the point of ham radio. You can establish comms with ham when the rest of everything is down with a very small amount of power. However, it's a specialized skill, and it's not something everybody's going to do, and I think a lot of people that are ham certified live in a world where they believe that if they can just get everybody to do it, and they're not going to. And I have found them to be, in an annoying sense, extremely evangelical. Not all. I mean, I have some good friends that are hams that are not. John Pugliano is one of them, right? And if you ask him, he'll tell you, and he'll set stuff up, and he'll show you how it works, and he's a good mentor and all. But it's not like, hey, have you heard the good news about our Lord and Savior, Ham Radio? But there are most of the people that I meet that are hams, and maybe it's just because I don't know the other people are, right? But they're kind of like CrossFit people, right? How do you know if somebody does CrossFit? Don't worry, they'll tell you. How do you know if somebody's a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. How do you know if somebody uses ham radio? Don't worry, you'll see the antennas on their car. I, I think it's a great skill set. I just don't think it's for everyone, and I don't think it's practical for everyone. What I do say is if you're building a preparedness group, It would be a great idea within that group to have someone or two that is skilled at it and then have a means of communication within the group, like using GMRS or uh, family radio frequency radios or mirrors or something like that. Or even using ham to extend distance and saying, well, when the shit hits the fan, you know, Bill, who's the ham guy, will explain to us how to use our, our, our little cheapo radios Uh, within the confines of our group so that information can be disseminated. I think there's a real case uh, for that. Uh, Christopher says, do you think this Omicron variant is the end of the COVIDs? Yes. We had a whole discussion about that probably before you got on today. Uh, it is the end. I tweeted on the, and I put it on the other social media platforms too, like I said, Twitter's the one that's good about putting the date there so you can see when it happened and it can be verified. Um, and that way you can go on record and prove that you did it. Um, yes, but we covered, Chris, I think before you were here, the concept of the death of a death cult is never pretty. So it's the end, but dying beasts are dangerous. And it's not going to end like this. It's going to end like this in some places. It's done in some places. There is no pandemic in Florida or Texas. And there hasn't been for a very long time. My numbers, people are dying. That's not the pandemic, folks. The pandemic is your life being fucked up by government. That's the pandemic in relation to this thing. Like, the government's still fucking up everybody's life everywhere. But I mean really disrupting lives. This is the end. And different places will hold out for different lengths of time, but the rats are jumping off the ship, absolutely. Um, K-Bong says, yep, all the Northeast. I guess that's in relation to... Um, to... Uh, to... Uh, meatloaf there. Um... Jesse says if the uh, if the Earth was 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 flat, the North Pole would never be dark. They actually have an answer for that. It's not a good one because again, that's the thing about the flat Earthers, right? They they have an answer for everything, but they have no unified model that that stands up to the the 
the least bit of scrutiny, the least bit of analysis, the least bit of common sense. There's no unified map. There's no unified model. None of that stuff. Uh, they don't have any of it. And hold on, I have to ban somebody. Uh, yeah, we have a, a porner, a porn uh, spammer here. Uh, so what you can't explain with it isn't so much the North Pole being dark for part of the year because they basically say that the sun moves between the tropics, right? And then that determines how much, like a, like a flashlight on your desk, how much is lit at any one time. The problem is that if you move the sun uh, across the tropics and you're on a disc and it's doing this, then it's, it's the, the duration or the length of each movement becomes longer or shorter, which would require it to speed up and slow down to maintain 300, you know, to maintain a 24-hour day. And like I said, then they'll have an answer for that, but it doesn't unify back. Like, none of it unifies. Um, you're forgetting all the hidden land full of resources beyond anarchy. That's actually what they say. When you press them, like, well, then why do they do this? They say, to make money, and you say, how? They don't know, right? To control people. They don't know. But they, a lot of them actually believe what happens if you go across Antarctica, that even though it's the Great Rim, maybe there's more, like a peripheral where it's not so cold out there, and there's all these wonderful resources they don't want us to have. Like, I, yeah, it's interesting. Um, if, that, if that was a guy thing, then explain Sue, Mary Sue characters. I don't know who Mary Sue is. So I can't, I, I guess that if you're saying, I, I'm going to take a guess here. That the hammerer is saying that there are cartoons for girls that invoke the heroine instead of the hero. I'm sure there are. Girls like that stuff. People like that stuff. But I think that the fantasy of them being that, girls mature and walk away from it easier than men do. Like, men literally... Like, I saw a commercial one time and I thought, you know what, I'll admit it, I've done it. Like... A guy's like flipping a burger on the grill, and there's like commentators like it's football going, that was an expert move right there. He didn't poke holes in it. He used a spatula. You know? And I'm like, fucking guys, we do this shit in our head. And I don't, I, mean, I could be wrong. If you're, instead of being a guy telling me I'm wrong, if there's a woman that will tell me that women do this, great. But I, I don't think it's very common, and I think it's why men are more predisposed to think and insert ourselves with fantasy into these heroic roles. Um, Rick says, why won't the status cut come over to our side? That's literally how many anarchists are. And I would actually say the majority of anarchists that are vocal online anywhere, like, let's just talk as much shit as we can about the people closest, not the furthest. Like, there is nothing, that there is no person that the average anarchist tends to beat up more, especially online. Then the, min, the extreme minarchist libertarian. The, the, the closer you get to them, the more asshole they are to you. And then they're like, I don't understand. Why can't he figure this out? Because when you're addicted to people, they don't want to be part of what you're doing. Absolutely, Rick, you're right. Um, Rick also says, if my kids aren't in school, who will bully them? It's very true. Bullying is a massive problem in our schools. And we actually have people that are so fucked up in the head that they say shit like, well, I was bullied in school and I turned out okay. You know what? I've been in fights and was punched in the mouth and bled out of my mouth and I turned out okay. 
I still don't advise you going around getting yourself punched in the mouth. And I'm still saying that, you know, you might get punched in the mouth today and be okay, and you might get punched in the mouth tomorrow by somebody who's a lot stronger, and it could disfigure you or disable you for life or kill you. We re I recently heard of a story where a guy punched a woman in the head in, of all places, Los Angeles, like for no reason, just like an old lady just walked by her and punched her in the head, and she died. So does that mean it's, it's okay to be punched in the head because you've been punched in the head and you turned out okay? And are you sure? Are you sure you're okay? That's like the people that beat their children and say, well, I got my ass beat when I was a kid. I turned out fine. As you abuse your child. Oh, okay. Sure you did. You think violence is okay. And in school, this bullying shit where we say, you know, kids need to learn to deal with real life. Being bullied in school Just for the slow kids out there that are actually listening today, it's not fucking real life. It doesn't happen in real life. You don't go into an office and work with somebody you don't like and deal with them bullying you, especially physically. They go to a place called fucking jail if they do that. They get fucking fired if they do that. It's only in school that we say, shake hands and get along, like, a, like, like literally showing that the idiots are running the asylum. That's not a thing. They're not going to get along. Bullies pick kids they know they can get away with bullying and it's it's it, and if you're if you want another yet you know like reason 5671 to homeschool your kids and get them out of these systems bullying dodo bird says is sal going to debate schooling uh about lightning with you uh, i don't know about the schooling part in there um but i did say i would debate um sal mayweather who i have tremendous respect for on Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash and the absolute fact that we don't need Bitcoin Cash. That Lightning is a valid solution and that everything he was saying about Lightning was mostly wrong. But no, he's never come back around and been willing to debate. I'd totally love to debate that. Uh, I would actually have a very... I would call that a debate worth having. I would think that in that debate, I could learn things from Sal and Sal could learn things from me and we could both teach people observing the debate... And we would both have influence on the way people thought about the subject. So it would be worth having. The only reason I'm willing to debate somebody about the earth being fucking flat is, one, the thing I think I can learn is more about the psychology that makes a person believe this nonsensical fantasy shit. And, and, and two, so I can do it and not have to do it again. Like, so I can just be done with these people. Uh, Logan says, is it safe to cook a Muscovy breast like steak medium? Yes, I've done it, and I'm not dead. And I don't know anybody that cooked their Muscovy uh, medium and died. I do think that rare meat and its safety is a direct application of how it is treated. There is a temperature zone that's bacterial party time. Okay? And so when we, when we process a Muscovy or any bird that we, any duck can be, can be cooked rare. Okay. Chickens, no. Ducks, yes. Okay. Not going to get into why, but chickens, chickens, no. Ducks, yes. But when we do that processing, we need to chill that meat and we need to not let it, like, if we leave it sit on a picnic bench, for a couple, three or four hours in 80-degree weather, and then we take it inside and throw it in a pan and cook it rare, we do have the potential that we could have a problem. It's actually not as likely as you'd think, but it's not a good practice. So properly processed and handled up to the point of cooking, there's absolutely no reason that you can't eat any duck or goose 
Medium rare that I'm aware of. Is there some weird species of, you know, like uh, newfangled whistling duck or something that ha carries some sort of disease? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But when I say ducks, I mean mallard-derived domestic ducks and muscovies. Both can be cooked rare if properly handled. Uh, Chris says, is Omnicrow the end of COVID, especially with other countries removed mandates? I already answered that. Uh, for you, by the way. Uh, so you just repeat. That's fine. Repeat a question if I don't answer it. Uh, Jack, you're a jerk. Now Baker Creek is my crack dealer, too. Andrew. <sighs> Got to say something about Baker Creek here that I don't like saying, but it's true. Um, Baker Creek, and I didn't know this when I did that episode about them, and I'm not calling for a boycott because I don't do that, but I will think about this when I'm buying anything in the future, especially if it's something I don't have to get from them. Um, apparently, Jerry Gettle, who runs Baker Creek, is both a, max, a mask tard and a vax tard, which in of itself, I wouldn't care about. If he believed in masking up and vaccinating himself and his family, and they did that, I wouldn't even mention it. But they required their employees working basically in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, spaced out from each other, often outdoors, to wear masks at all time, and they fired people who refused to wear a mask. And when the vaccines came around, they mandated masks for their employees and terminated people who refused to get a vaccine. I thought, even though I knew that Gettle tended toward the liberal side of the, of the equation, I thought, based on what they do, that they were on, I hate to use this term, but our side. As homesteaders, given that the market they serve is primarily us, your your liberal yuppies, uh, Jerry, that live in Los Angeles, don't buy anywhere near the seeds that redneck hippie duck farmers buy. And I thought they understood that, and I thought they knew that, and I thought they knew who they were serving. Apparently, they don't. So I'm not going to burn my Baker Seed catalog. I, I bought a bunch of seeds. I told you guys when I did that episode what I bought. They're sitting in a package out there right now. My wife's like, well, are, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to plant them. I'm not stupid. You know, just like I saw Nick Ferguson the other day say, you know, he's pretty pissed at Carhartt, but he's not going to burn his Carhartt hat because it's a good hat. He's just not going to buy another one. That's kind of where I am there. And it's not even I won't ever buy anything from them. If there's something I really want and I can't find it anywhere else, you know, what am I going to do? Like if I stop not, if I start not doing business, With every company that's had any form of mandate, I'm not going to have a lot of people left to do business with. There's a reality there. But the seed market? This, and here's the other thing. The reason I'm even saying this now, I emailed them. And I said, hey, I just did this episode, and a shitload of my people came at me and told me this was going on. Before I say something about it, do you guys want to say something about your policy? Because maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe you have more than 100 employees and you were doing it preemptively because you thought you were going to have to comply with OSHA or something. Maybe there's a reason that makes sense even if I don't agree with it. Response was nothing. So I take it to be, um, it just is the way it is. Uh, how do you start lettuce for aquaponics, says uh, Marco. Marco, depends. Aquaponics, usually I'm going to start it in my hydro seed starting type system. I'm going to put it in one of the little uh, rapid rooter pellets, drop a pinch of seeds in there, set those things fit perfectly in a six-pack, and I'm going to set that six-pack or tray of six-packs into one of my trays. And when it, the, the plant gets up to where it's got you know a good inch of growth and some true leaves on it, I'm going to take that pellet and drop it into my aquaponics system. If I am using um, – I've also just taken lettuce seed and just sprinkled it in 
ebb and flow beds. And I've also put it straight into rafting beds. And it's an interesting thing. It doesn't seem to work very well in rafting beds, which is weird. But I think that you get an aquaponic system with a rafting bed, you tend to get a much colder evaporative cooling for some reason than you do when you're doing like pass-through hydro with like NFT. So with my hydro system, NFT system, I just direct so. But with, and I don't really do much rafting with um, aquaponics anymore. But when I did, I never really got good growth rates doing that. So I generally would start my lettuce outside the system, get it up to you know an inch, inch and a half high, some true leaves on it, and then transplant it into the aquaponics system. Uh, that's what's worked best for me. Um, Wild Weasel says, best trees to start in orchards, 6B zone. Everybody asks that question. Everybody asks it about their zone. Like, I just walk around with a pocket full of listed trees for your zone. Dude, what did I say about learning this stuff, right? When a guy wanted to garden all his food. Analyze yourself. What do you eat? And what do you want to harvest? Then analyze your area. What fruits are grown commercially in your area? And start there. And, you know, every orchard catalog, every tree catalog, every nursery catalog says, here's your zone range. And my best advice for you is if you're in six, grow things that will do well down to four and up to, or down, I'm sorry, down to five and up to seven. Go one on either side and pick what you want and plant a variety. I, I don't have a list for you. I have not developed a list in 14 years and I'm not gonna because this is a very personal decision, right? But, I mean, six, you can grow almost everything except citrus. Like, zone six is literally like the zone, right? Stone fruits, no problem. So that's your, your peaches, your apricots, and stuff like that. Um, apples, pears, percent, like everything, with very few exceptions, will do well in zone six. So what do you like? John says, what is the best variety of sorghum to grow for poultry feed supplement? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It all does well. Personally, I've had really good results with a variety called White African Giant because it grows really big and produces great big heads of, of grain. And it is from a part of Africa that is not exactly known for having a lot of rain. So it has a massive root system and it's very drought tolerant. Uh, but honestly, you can grow anything. They don't care. They like it all. Uh, I also have had really great results with a much smaller, more diminutive plant, uh, but Mennonite. Mennonite's another sorghum variety, and I've grown a few others, but those are the two I've done best with. Wyatt says, why has this government considered us lost dead at sea from birth? They installed that right after the old pandemic, Black Plague, odds of, I, I don't know, I think you're in some fantasy world that I, I can't deal with today. One fantasy world at a time. The reason I use Signal is because it's not Messenger and I can get people to go there. That's valid, John. That's valid. There's nothing wrong. I didn't say don't use Signal. Right? I didn't say not to use signal. And I'm not saying that you don't develop a level of additional security by using signal over using, you know, iPhone Messenger direct native texting. Right? What I'm saying is if you're having conversations you really want to keep confidential, they probably don't belong on your mobile device at all. Because number one, you're carrying the device around unless you delete it. So the device can be seized. But two, Your carrier can, and the government can, if they want to, set frequency and continuously screenshot your phone. 
it is a thing. And I just wanted people to know that that's possible. Um, Virginia said, could you please explain book code uh, cryptography again? So uh, she says crypto, but she's not talking about Bitcoin here, guys, or Litecoin or anything like that. She's talking about book code. Book code is probably the most secure form of coded, encrypted communications you could use. And you could use this. <laughs> you could use book code and CC the NSA. And they probably can't break the code. So here's how book code works. You get a book, and then your other party has a book. It has to be the exact same book, and it has to be the exact same edition. And if you don't have the same book and the same edition, it's almost impossible to break. Because there is no pattern to discern. And the way it works is, let's say that, that, that John Dowie and I wanted to communicate about microgreens under ultra-secure encryption that no one could ever figure out. And we wanted to use iPhone Messenger and CC the NSA on every communication just to fuck with them. Now, we're probably not going to do this because John and I don't want the NSA and black helicopters roping into our windows like a bad scene from Christmas Vacation. But if we did... Could it be done? And yes, it could. So we both go down to uh, our, our local Barnes and Noble, and we agree with each other. We're going to buy three books. Maybe the collected works, like the cheap ones that are on the thing, if that's still a thing at Barnes and Noble. The collected works of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Shakespeare's collected works, and uh, the Judy Bloom novels for children, or some shit like that, right? And uh, but we, we we also make sure that it's the same one. Maybe I go buy two of each. And I snail mail John copies. And inside each book, on the front cover, I write one, two, and three. Or double A, double B, double C. Or some something that says, this is the book to use in this communication. And then we agree that that gets placed in the beginning, the end, the middle, somewhere. Which is an added layer that we don't really need at this point. And if I wanted to say, the cat... To John, I would thumb through the book until I found the word the. And I would look at the page. It's page 29, and I would count the words. And the appears as the 14th word on page 29. And I would write 14 slash 29. It means nothing without that book. It means the. And then, this is the important part that makes it have no discernible pattern whatsoever. I would take a marker and I would scratch through that word in that book and I would never use that code for that word ever again. And then I would thumb through the book and I'd find cat. Page 156, word 104. And John would get the thing and go, page 156, word 104, cat. Very laborious. Without the exact book, impossible impossible to break because there's nothing to work with. There's even if, like the old Enigma code machine that the Nazis had, right? The way we broke that is we got a we got one and didn't let them know we had one because we let certain things happen that we could have stopped so they didn't know we could break their code. But even with that, there was a pattern that would be created by it. Book code has no pattern. None. Zero. Zilch. Um... I am going to take one more uh, question, and I'm going to wrap up today because we are at an hour and 40 minutes almost. Alt Arc says, where might mandates go from here? Continue with annual shots, vax passes some states, and masking. I think 
by and large, almost all the mandates are going to be dropped. Because they have reached a point where they're hurting themselves as much as they're hurting us with the mandates. You know, I, Now, I'm not saying instantly and everywhere at the same time, and I'm not even saying there might not be some places that hang on for years even. But Trudeau just, for instance, fired like 18,000 truckers in Canada. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Okay, They're not going to cave in. And we need them more than they need us. And eventually that's going to hurt the politicians and the bureaucrats too. So I think overall we get this crumbling. But what the death cult does, and it's right in my tweet, they claim, they're going to claim that what they did is why we got through it. It's behind us. The darkest days of the pandemic are behind us. We've now moved to where it's an endemic, not a pandemic. We're all going to be okay if we stay ever vigilant. And they're going to push like crazy to keep people getting their boosters. That's the thing. And then they'll have new, you know, just it'll, it's going to become like the flu shot. Public service announcements, guilting, shaming, conjoling, convincing, uh, insurance companies getting in on it, maybe jacking your rates up if you don't do it. But the overall draconian mandates are crumbling right now in front of your face. It's hard to believe because it lasted so long. But if you just look out, you see the walls crumbling down. And when you start hearing the mainstream media people going, well, you know, and they start like, well, they didn't tell us the truth. We didn't know. Some of the, like when they start that shit, again, like the German citizens, they claim they didn't know there was a concentration camp on the other side of that hill. Those are the rats getting off the ship. And the whole thing is planned. Remember, Klaus Schwab said it was a narrow window. They've done mostly what they can with it, and it's dead. But it's still alive. It's a zombie. It's now truly the zombie plague. It's not worth worrying about. Specifically, now, I want to be clear what I mean when I say Omicron is killing this. It's called viral attenuation. It's scientific fact. We've known this for a long time. I said... Before we even had significant cases in the United States, that's how long ago I said, this is what happens. What we did with all of these, these mandates and these lockdowns, we did slow the spread. And we also slowed the attenuation. And they made it last longer. And it probably didn't save any lives. I'm not going to say it didn't, because I, I, I have to be agnostic to that, right? I don't know that. I have a belief that it probably saved no lives. Very few, if any especially in the long duration. Because what happens with these, and this is why this came out of South Africa. South Africa has, in fact, Africa in general has incredibly low vaccination rates. They also have incredibly high survival rates. Number one, because they don't consider every single person that dies a COVID death. right? They don't test everybody that dies and say, oh, he had COVID. I know he got hit in the head with a spear, but he has COVID. It's a COVID. They don't do that shit. Like That's coming out too, right? Right? Like the, the, the mainstream media is acknowledging that the number that you see for death is wrong, the number you see for hospitalization, like CNN's admitting this. The Pfizer CEO comes out and says, Our vaccine does very little to protect you against getting or spreading Omicron. Ron Paul plays or, or quotes the Pfizer CEO 
and gets his post taken down off of Facebook for dangerous misinformation, quoting the Pfizer CEO. See, there's the, there's the place. You're going to have, as it crumbles, the stalwarts, the true believers, the true Covidians, the ones with the most in invested in it, holding on as long as possible. And yes, your retarded sheep friends. I, I'll give you a prediction right now. By the end of this year, with very few exemptions, going out and about, no one is going to be required to wear a mask in 98% of the country. Maybe San Francisco or L.A., and I say that's a maybe. Probably, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be New York, right? Maybe some government facilities or something like that will hang on. But by the end of 2022, it's not going to be a thing. Everybody's going to be kind of like Texas and Florida. Here's the scary thing. Everything's going to be kind of like Texas and Florida with the masks. You know what I mean by scary? When I go out, one in 20, masked right now in Texas. Doesn't need to be masked. At least one in 20. Um, parents putting masks on their children. Still a thing here. No one makes them, but they do it. I predict 2023, you'll see that all over the place. The holdouts, the true believers that won't let go. I would put as an under-over, assuming I'm right about Omicron, and this is the end of the hysteria, 2025 before you don't commonly see people with masks on. Not because they're made to, but because they want to symbolically be part of the cult. And there was an article that came out when this masking shit started about Japan. And how, you know, everybody said, you know, the Asians, they wear masks. And Basically, this article was how, for a decade, there was an identifiable, like no one wanted to talk about it, but an identifiable mental illness that had people walking around in Japan wearing masks. Like when they used them as precautionary measures, there were people that gravitated it to it, they liked it, they wanted it to be a thing, and so they did so. And so that when they were perfectly well, when there was nothing to worry about, they were still walking around with their little masks on. Blah, blah, blah. It's a mental illness. All right, so one more, even though I said I wasn't going to do. Garrison says, well, the facial recognition software that is predominantly accurate and used on U.S.-Mexico will be ready for launch very soon. Yes, and I'll tell you one of the things that they've done. They used this uh, period of masking to improve facial recognition to where you can still do facial recognition with AI when somebody's wearing a mask. And do you think that was just like that just accidentally happened, or do you think that was part of the plan all along? Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. We went an hour and 45. I appreciate everybody that came and hung out with me in the live stream. If you're listening to the audio and you want to be part of a live stream like this, one of the things that you can do is get on our Telegram channel. And even though it won't be encrypted and even though it can be deciphered by the NSA, you will know when we're going to go live, assuming we don't get busted by the gulag for this one because we spewed some truth today. Again, thank you all. I will catch up with you starting again next week. And big announcement here at the end. I had some videos sent to me today by a, uh, a very good friend and member of the community that were, some of them were really inspiring, and one is horrifying. And it has to do with drone technology. And that's what we're going to talk about Monday. And we'll be trying a new feature here in the StreamYard uh, studio and seeing if I can actually play multiple video clips for you, because one of them... You really have to see it. I'd really like to play it during the live stream. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. 
Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. You don't have to live the way they tell you to. Make your own way, the others will follow. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution.